everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today you're listening to episode 69, and I'm talking with Michelle Conkley. Michelle is a two-time Paralympic champion, a two-time world record holder, and a four-time medalist for Team USA. She's the proud mom to Ollie the Corgi, and I had so much fun chatting with Michelle. You guys are going to love this episode. This episode is brought to you by Now Foods. Now Foods has been a leader in the natural products industry since 1968. You guys can get beauty and health products, essential oils, sports nutrition, natural foods. I buy my favorite protein powder from them. It's a creamy vanilla plant protein complex. You guys can go to now-2-u.com to save 25% off your next order. Use the promo code ANOTHERALLCAPS. If you guys are loving the show, I would appreciate it if you would leave me a rating and review on iTunes. It's the best way for potential new listeners to find the show. Hey, you guys, don't forget my live show is coming up on September 30th. If you just go to lindsayhine.com to find more information on those tickets, Michelle Gonzalez, Mary Johnson, and Meggie Dials are all coming to talk on a panel, and it's going to be so much fun. So come run the Indie Women's Half Marathon with us and then celebrate. Okay, and I also have some other really exciting news I want to tell you guys about. I decided to jump on the book club train and we're going to do a book club with this podcast because I love talking about books with my guests on the show and so we're going to go for it. I have a little group on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'll put the link to join the group on the show notes and if you guys are interested in joining that, I'd love to have you. So the book, dun dun dun, I've already picked it out, okay? The book I have chosen, I really thought hard about this and Um, actually Michelle in this episode recommended this book and so I decided to go for it. I wanted to go with an athlete but not necessarily a runner. So I picked Ronda Rousey's book My Fight, Your Fight. So that's going to be our book club for July. We're going to start it officially in July. All right guys, lots of exciting stuff going on. Thanks for listening. Enjoy my conversation with Michelle. Hey, here we go. Awesome. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. It's, you know, another hot summer day in Florida. Okay. I was going to say, what city do you, where do you live? So I live down in Naples. Um, it's mostly a retirement community, but um, <laughs> it's really beautiful. <laughs> so how do you say your last name? Uh, it's Conkley. Okay. That's what I thought. So we're talking to Michelle Conkley. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited to talk to you today because, well, lots of reasons, but I think as you can tell from my podcast, I talk to a lot of runners mm-hmm. and I'm really wanting to expand on the type of athlete that I talk to. And so you're the first swimmer I've interviewed. So this is really exciting for me. Very cool. Well, I'm honored to be the first swimmer. uh, And am I the first Paralympian as well? You definitely are. Awesome. Awesome. Well, killing uh, two birds with one stone there. Okay. So how old are you, Michelle? So I'm 25 years old. Okay. And so you went to Georgetown and you know Emily Enfield. I do. Yes. I didn't actually know her that well when we were both there. Um, I, th- I don't, I think we might've overlapped just by one year, but I got to meet her this past fall after the Olympics. Um, Team USA brought all of the Olympians and Paralympians back to Georgetown actually for this big award show. So um, Emily and I and Georgetown had another Olympian, Charlie, who was on the sailing team. We all got to hang out and take some cool pictures with the president. Um, so it was really cool to get to connect with her there. No big deal. Take some pictures with the president. Yeah, it was it was a whirlwind couple of days, but um, really, really cool experience that I'm so grateful to have had. 
That's awesome. Well, she, I've, like uh, we talked about in the email also, I interviewed her and she's got a really fun personality too. She was just a blast to talk to. Yeah. And I believe her sister was in medical school actually. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think when I interviewed her, she was in, she's probably still in school, but she was in school. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, that's awesome. So fun. Um, What, what brought you to Georgetown? Why'd you go to Georgetown? That's a good question. Uh, I'm from the suburbs of Philadelphia. So DC was a really good distance away from home. You know, I'm the oldest child. uh, So (laughs) my parents weren't too keen on me going super far away. Um, But Georgetown really had a really good balance for me of athletics and academics. Um, You know, my family's very focused on academics. My parents have always prioritized that. And when I found Georgetown, it really seemed like it was somewhere where I could get top-notch academics and then also have a swim team that was a really good fit for um, my level. How many siblings do you have? I have two younger sisters. Okay, so you're the oldest girl. I have two sisters as well. And Emily yeah. Enfeld has two sisters, I believe, too. <laughs> like where do you fall all among girls. your sisters? I'm in the middle. Okay. Yeah, awesome. I'm in the middle. Um, so did you grow up swimming? You know what? I started swimming when I was 12, which is pretty late, actually, for a swimmer. Yeah. Um, I'm a really bad runner. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, uh, A plus to all those runners out there, but just not for me. (laughs) So that uh, makes a lot of sports not go over so well. Um, And I found swimming when I was 12 and then really just took off from there. I mean, so you swam as a little kid, but then you did you join like a club team or something when you were 12? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, we put in a pool in my backyard at home, and I really loved it. And my parents said, why don't we try this out as a sport? And, um, you know, even though I was a little bit older than a lot of kids, when they start swimming, I caught on really quickly. Well, okay, so I have to tell you, when I was, I think, seven or eight, I don't know how old, but little, I joined the Bloomington Swim Club, BSC, mm-hmm. because that's what everybody did. Mm-hmm. And... I think I lasted like three months and I was in the slowest lane and I couldn't even, I couldn't even ever get myself to go more than like back and forth a lap. And uh-huh. I never, you know, all these kids would do meets and they had like the fast lanes and I, you know, and I was always so intimidated because I was always in the slow lane with the kids that were littler than me. Um, and so I, I gave it up. <laughs> That, that it certainly happens. And, you know, some people are a little more naturally inclined to be in the water than others. <laughs> yes. And I'm going to ask you some more swimming questions like technique and stuff later on in the conversation, because since then I have been back in the pool a decent amount. So we'll get back to that though. Yeah. I saw you were doing some Ironman stuff. Yes. So that's awesome. Yeah. I, I will. I've done one half. So okay. I, I won't, uh, I won't say I've done too much, but I've, I've swam kind of mm-hmm. taught myself. So, Okay. Tell me, when you went to Georgetown, you were on the swim team, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and this was your your freshman year. You went, um, tell me what that was like, what, what your swimming career was like at that point. Yeah, so freshman year, I was really kind of living the dream. Um, Georgetown's a mid-major D1 program, so, you know, we're not at that very top level, but it's a very competitive program, um, and... I, you know, I was loving the independence and the freedom that college brought for me and making so many new friends. And then when I got injured, it really just kind of put a halt to all of that progress I had been making. And what happened? How did you get injured? What was the, what was the situation? 
Um, so right before we came back for second semester of my freshman year, um, the team had gone on a training trip, which is pretty typical for college swim teams over winter break. Um, and we got back to campus and I'm unpacking my room, getting ready for second semester. Um, and I wanted to open my window because it was pretty warm in my dorm room, even though it was January. Um, so my room was on the fifth floor of the building and we had these big windows right over our desks. So my roommate and I had often gotten into the habit of standing up on our desks in order to open the window to get mm. some more leverage. Um, we did this all the time. So that night, just like I had done a thousand other times, I stood up on the desk, gave the window a big oomph, but instead that time I slipped and I fell out the window five oh. stories to the ground. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't remember what happened. Fortunately, your body kind of blocks out the trauma, but um, I landed on my feet and I shattered my right heel bone and then the impact traveled up my spinal cord and blew out my L2 vertebrae. So because of that injury, I lost um, pretty much all movement and feeling from the waist down. In both legs? Uh, yeah, in both legs. So did you just wake up in the hospital? Yep, I woke up in the hospital at George Washington University Hospital in the trauma center and, you know, was so confused. I had no idea what was going on. Um, I was alone. You know, my parents weren't there yet. And they told me that I, you have a spinal cord injury and mm. you're going to need surgeries and rehab. And um, it's just something that I had never expected to hear in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, and you were 18, 19? Yeah, 18 years old. Yeah. Um, so, it was definitely pretty scary. And, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable in hospitals. I'm going to medical school. And <laughs> it was still pretty scary. <laughs> At that point in your life, did you know you wanted to go to med school already? Yeah. So um, I was a bio major even when I started and was, you know, pretty sure that that's what I wanted to do. But after my rehab and going through all of that in the hospital, it really solidified that this is what I want to spend my life doing. That's awesome. So, was, yeah. <laughs> so tell me this, though. I mean, I'm just trying to imagine you're laying there in the hospital bed. They tell you you have a spinal cord injury. You're on the brink of this, like, you know, swimming career, and you're just starting out college. Like, were you like, my world is crashing down on me? I think uh, retroactively looking at it, yes. Um, <laughs> but in the moment, there's just so much going on. I was in so much pain that you really can only think about what's right in front of you. You know, what are you going to do in the next minute? Um you know, my mom likes to say we just lived like hour by hour in those first couple weeks because um, you don't you can't think too far ahead. Mm -hmm. um, and I was fortunate that I had incredible doctors that did a really good job. I had two spinal surgeries and a surgery on my heel. And um, they were optimistic that I would get some function back. Um, so, you know, no one ever told me you're never going to walk again. But mm -hmm. Um, it was made clear that it was going to be a very long and very difficult recovery. And I don't think anyone expected me to be up walking independently as quickly as I was. When you, when you woke from the time you woke up from when your parents arrived, how long was that? Um, what, once I woke up, it was only about an hour, I think, until my mom got there. Um, so just to see a familiar face was so reassuring. And, and now talking, talking to your parents about that experience and going back, what, what, what does your mom say? You know, I mean, it's like, you know, I have three little boys and mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine hearing one of my children has been injured so badly in an accident like that. Has your mom kind of talked to you about how she dealt with hearing that news? Yeah, I mean, it was really traumatic for my parents. And it's hard for me to to hear them talk about it. But, um, you know, now that some time has passed, and we've all been able to process it a little better. Um, 
I think mostly I'm just appreciative for how incredible my parents were. Um, My dad stayed home at that time to take care of my other sisters. You know, they had to keep going on with their lives. Um, And my mom was just amazing, like so strong. And she's able to deal with the doctors and like make these really important medical decisions um, with a very clear head despite all of that. So I, I can't thank them enough for being such a great support system. How long were you in the hospital for that, that period of time? Um, so I was in GW hospital, um, for my surgeries for two weeks. And then after that, I moved up to McGee rehabilitation hospital in Philadelphia, um, in order to do some more spinal cord injury rehab. And I was also a lot closer to my family once I was up in Philadelphia. And so then did you take the year off school or the semester? And when did you go back? I just took that spring semester off, um, and then I actually did go back um, in August, so only eight months after my injury. Wow. So for other people that might, you know, go through or have been through a traumatic experience like this, what were some, I mean, gosh, it's just, it's just 18 is so young, but I'm sure that that matured you beyond your years at that, <laughs> at that time in your life. What were some of the things that you did mentally to kind of get over the the hurdles and the, you know, I mean, that, that's hard what you were going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really hard. And you're right. You do grow up a lot. Um, you know, just being alone in a hospital every night, you know, the nurses kind of become your family. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, one of the things that I did a lot that I kind of learned in swimming and then carried over to my rehab is visualization. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm sure this is big with runners too, but you know, just thinking about the muscles in my legs moving and just, thinking, thinking that, and hoping that one day the actions in my body would match my thoughts. I feel like just from hearing your voice and even from your our email correspondence, like you're a very positive, well-rounded individual. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I am positive. I, I like that about myself. <laughs> it's one of those things where you're like, man, if, if something like this could happen to someone with this type of personality or this type of personality, it's like God really picked the right person to... <laughs> to take to go through something like this. Yeah, it's funny. I had some friends that said like, Michelle is the last person we would ever expect that this would happen to, but also like the best person that this could Mm -hmm. happen to. What what do you feel when someone says that? Because honestly, when I just said that, I was like, Ooh, am I putting sticking my foot in my mouth by saying that? No, no, not at all. I mean, I think it, it took me a while to be able to appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that has to do with a lot of my success as an athlete as well, positivity and optimism. And um, I think being in rehab and seeing how other people deal with their injuries really helped me not to take my own positivity for granted. Mm. Um, You know, I think it's easy to get frustrated at other people when you don't think they're working as hard as they can, but you know, maybe they don't have a naturally positive um, outlook and they are doing the best they can. It just, um, is different than how you're dealing with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, so all that being said, you know, people talk about the power of, of your mind and whatnot when, when they're sick, when, when, you know, illnesses come about and how much do you think that affected you getting back on track? Oh my gosh. Um, it was huge. Um, totally huge. Like I said, I visualized my muscles working every day. And then one day, I'm doing that. I'm thinking about my quad moving and then I saw it twitch Mm. and it was the craziest thing because this is what I had been thinking of. And, you know, I'm pretending it's twitching in my head and then it, it actually did in my leg. And that was like, 
oh my gosh, like if my quad moves, like I'm going to be able to walk. Wow. What did you, did you call your mom? Like, what did you do when that (laughs) moment happened? My mom was actually right there with me. And the first thing she did was said, don't do it again. I don't want it to get too tired. Let's go get the physical therapist and make sure this is real, what we're seeing. Oh, that's so amazing. (laughs) Oh, it's great. There's a picture I have of like me and the physical therapist are like smiling with tears in our eyes because that was really the moment when we knew, all right, if, if my quad works, walking is definitely going to be be in the future. Oh, my gosh. I can't imagine being your physical therapist, too, because those moments have to be, like, some of the most exciting moments in their entire career and reasons why they even went into that career in the first place. Totally. When you're a physical therapist on a spinal cord injury floor, I mean, that doesn't happen every day. So when it does, it's really cool. Oh, that's so cool. Um, <laughs> so tell me about the process getting back to a place where you could get back in the water and swim and, and be more physically active. What did that yeah. process look like? Um, so it was long and really, really difficult. Um, when I, when I speak to kids, um, I like to ask them to think about the most sore they've ever been after like a workout or a dry land session. And when you wake up that next morning and your whole body hurts, mm-hmm. that's how I felt every day for six months. Wow. Is it similar to um, that feeling like this, that muscle soreness? Oh, yes. It's okay. it's totally muscle soreness. Because when I went to rehab, um, you know, once I was kind of stable medically, I started rehab six hours a day, five days a week. Wow. Um, and it's essentially like working out as hard as you can for six hours a day. And is that standard? Uh, I mean, is that the standard? Is Or is that more than what most people would do? Um, this was standard. Um, this was kind of a it's called day rehab that was attached to the hospital where I did my inpatient rehab at McGee. Um, there are some newer programs like project walk you might've heard of. Um, that's like a more intensive spinal cord injury rehab, even more intense than what I did. Um, and those types of things are typically like not covered by insurance. Um, so yeah, so what I did was pretty standard. Um, but it was amazing how difficult things were that, you know, we would think of being easy, like standing for 30 seconds. Oh my gosh, I'd be wiped. Um, you know, sweating just from standing up on my own. So building endurance, building balance, building strength, all of those things that went into eventually being able to walk. Wow. That took eight months. Yeah. So, um, yeah, to give you a little timeline, um, I spent about seven weeks, um, kind of just rehabbing in the hospital, came home, continued to recover. And then I started that intensive rehab, Um, and for eight weeks I did that for six hours a day, five days a week. Um, plus there was an hour and a half commute each way. So that was a a really tiring time. Um, but by the end of that, by July, so about six months after my injury, um, I was able to walk unassisted. I had moved from a wheelchair to, um, a walker to crutches and then eventually canes and then walking on my own. And then what did that look like when you were walking on your own? Was it super slow? It was pretty shaky. Yeah. Um, to me it felt great because I was up and walking, Uh but, um, yeah, it was definitely, um, not, not as functional as I'm able to walk today. Um, you know, stairs were tricky. I would get tired really easily. I also had lost 30 pounds in the hospital. So, um, I was super skinny and weak. So it started off as that. And then as I became able to walk more and more about the house, when we went out to the grocery store, um, by the time I went back to college in August, I was walking pretty well. Um, I do have a slight limp even still today, and it's more noticeable depending on the kinds of shoes I'm wearing. Um, but, you know, by about eight months, I was walking pretty much everywhere I needed to go. And so it's, is it your left leg that's more affected? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So today, um, I still have nerve damage in my left leg, which is what makes me eligible for the Paralympics. Okay. Um, and I don't have feeling in much of my left leg, so I, I don't really know where it is in space. Um, but in terms of walking, my hip flexors are really weak, and I don't have great dorsiflexion and pulling out my foot. Um, so I have a little bit of a drop foot and um, just a slight kind of roundabout movement with my foot. But unless you're a physical therapist today, most people don't really notice. <laughs> so yeah, does that really affect, I mean, I'm sure you're used to it by now, but does that affect your balance? I mean, if you're kind of like confused about where your leg is in space? Mm-hmm. Yeah, balance is really tricky. Um, a lot of the stuff I do in the weight room, like single leg stuff is really difficult. Um, you know, I'm always working on it. But um, the balance is a big thing. And my right heel bone is also fused. So I don't have very much movement in my right ankle. Um, and my right leg is my quote unquote good leg. So <laughs> the combination of all those things, um, balance is definitely hard for me. Um, okay, so I want to move into the, the Paralympics. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, I want to ask you, how amazing were the nurses that took care of you when you were going through, like when you were in the trauma center? Oh my gosh, they were amazing. Um, The nurses and doctors and everyone, the whole team, the medical assistants, um, the people who were washing your hair. um, I really had such a positive experience in the hospital and being able to talk to all of the people who were caring for me really solidified that they care so much about getting me back on my feet that I want to be able to give back in a small way. And that's what really solidified my desire to go into medicine. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I have had very short hospital stays compared to what you've been endured, but every time I do it, I'm like, man, these nurses are so amazing to me. They're just totally, you know, it's like all the little things, you know, and they're just taking care of people all day long. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So the Paralympics, tell me when, once you, uh, finished your physical therapy and all that, I mean, you probably continue to always do physical therapy, right? Um, swimming and working out kind of became my physical okay. therapy. Yeah. Okay. So when was the seed planted that that might be a, a dream of yours to go <laughs> compete? Yeah. So it's kind of a funny story. Um, I got back to Georgetown to start my sophomore year about eight months after my injury, got back on the swim team. You know, I'm the slowest one in the water by far, but I was doing okay. Kind of, you know, getting back in shape and I started getting faster and faster, just like someone who just starts running or just starts swimming. You're dropping time really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, so because of that progress, I thought that I was going to be fine. I was like, all right, you know, in a couple months, I'll be back to where I was in high school and as fast as I ever had been. Um, But, you know, once I started to reach that plateau, that became clear that that's not what was going to happen. So, um, you know, now we're into 2012, which is an Olympic year. So um, I found out about the Paralympics, got classified, um, which is kind of how where they tell you what class you compete in, um, tried out for the London team and didn't make it. Um, so it's kind of crazy looking back on it that I went from not making the London team to being a four-time medalist in Rio, but, um, not making that London team was awful. Even though I had only known about Paralympics for a couple months by that point, um, it was really after then that I decided I never want to try out for a Paralympic team and not make it again. Okay. So tell me about the trying out process in 2012. When they classify you, how many classifications are there in swimming? Is that, does that question make sense? Yep. Yeah. That's a great question. And I think a really good thing, um, for people to know about the Paralympics. So 
to give a little more background, the Paralympics are parallel to the Olympics. That's what the para means. So they're held every four years, um, you know, summer and winter, same venues, same village, same level of competition. But all of the athletes have some sort of vis- um, visual or physical impairment. So each sport um, has a different system for classifying them. You know, obviously the track people need a different system than swimming. So in swimming, there's 10 different classifications for swimmers with physical impairments. So someone who's an S1 might have no arms and no legs, whereas someone who's an S10 might be missing a part of their hand or their foot. Okay. So based on the nerve damage that I have in my leg and also the fusions I have in my back and my foot, I'm an S9. Okay. Um, so, you know, towards the less disabled end of the spectrum. And most of the people that I compete against are actually either above knee amputees or below elbow amputees. Okay. So we're kind of all considered on the same playing field. S10, what did you say S10 would be? A lot of S10s are either below knee amputees or they might be missing a part of their hand. Okay. And then S1, did you say no arms and no legs? Um, yeah, we do. There are a couple swimmers like that. Um, How does that work? <laughs> it's amazing to watch. We have a little girl on the U.S. team oh. who she just has one arm. It doesn't even really have an elbow. And just to see her get in the pool and swim as fierce as a competitor as anyone, um, it's it's really amazing. I can't even imagine how, how that works. That's incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so you're an S9. And yeah. so you got classified in 2012. You tried out. Did you kind of think... You were going to make the team. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're a strong swimmer. You felt like you were getting back to where you were. Yeah. And you know what? I was close. I was just within a couple slots. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, now looking back, I was definitely disappointed. But at that point, I wasn't ready to go represent mm-hmm. Team USA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the level of preparation I had before Rio, I was ready to go be the best in the world. But in 2012, I kind of had just found out about this. Mm-hmm. You kind of threw yourself into it, like, right away. <laughs> totally, totally. Okay, so what did, the, what did the prep for Rio look like? I mean, did you get serious about it right away? Yeah. So, um, after 2012, I went back to Georgetown and I was a bio major. I was pretty busy with that and swimming for Georgetown. I was on the varsity team, even though I wasn't um, that good. (laughs) Um, so I kind of didn't do a lot with Paralympics for the next couple of years, honestly, just because I was so busy. Um, and then as it started to get closer to 2016, I got back into it and thought, you know what, this would be pretty cool to go for it. Um, by that point I had improved a lot. So my world rankings were a lot more competitive. Um, but I still had this dream of medical school. So I applied and was accepted to medical school in 2014. And then I came home for a Thanksgiving break right before I'm about to graduate and told my parents that I wanted to defer medical school and move to Florida and become a professional swimmer. Mm-hmm. What did so, they say? Uh, they were pretty shocked. That was not what they were expecting. <laughs> Um, but eventually they did get on board. They realized that this could be a really cool opportunity I might not get again. Um, so I deferred my acceptance to Thomas Jefferson University um, School of Medicine in Philadelphia, and I moved to Florida by myself. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, what was moving? What was the deal with moving to Florida? Was there a team there? There was a team, yeah. Um, it's a, a nice area of the country. My family's gone on vacation here, and we found this really awesome coach. His name's Paul Yetter. Um, and he had coached the 2008 Olympic team for swimming. Um, so he totally knew all about high-level competition, um, winning medals. And Paul and I really clicked. And um, I think that was one of the biggest factors in my success and preparation for Rio. Now, before we move on to Rio a little bit more, I want to 
I want to get inside your head a little bit when you were back at Georgetown racing on varsity, but you said you weren't very good. How did you mentally get through that knowing if I hadn't been injured, I might have been, you know, this person on the team or whatever. How did you, how did you get over that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and something I did struggle with a lot, you know, watching the relays especially is what got me. Um, I love relays and swimming and knowing that I'm never going to be on that A relay that's breaking the school records. Um, it's, it's really hard. Um, one of the cool things about Paralympics is there's Paralympic American records um, that you're able to break even if you're at like a college meet or like a club swim meet. Um, mm. So I found out about those and they were definitely in my reach. So I thought, you know, this is a cool thing that I can go for. It doesn't necessarily affect the Georgetown team, but it does give me motivation to swim as fast as I can. So it kind of became, even though, you know, I'm so far behind everyone else who's racing in the pool, I'm racing the clock. Mm-hmm. I just, mm-hmm. I had that lingering in my head and I was like, I want to go back and ask that before we get too far away from Georgetown. No, that's um, a great question. Yeah. I was like, cause that was just on my mind. Um, but back to training for Rio with, with your coach, Paul, um, how many girls were on the team? What did that training look like? What did, what did the trials look like for the pair? Yeah. Um, so training as a post-grad swimmer, um, I think it's a lot of runners probably run into the same problem. There's honestly not that many areas in the country where you can train, you know, with other people your age that are, have similar goals. Um, so the club I was training with is mostly high schoolers. Um, there was a couple of other girls that were training for Olympic trials. Um, so it was great to kind of be in the same mindset goal wise with them and on the same plan training wise. Um, but it, it could be a little lonely at times when you're training with, you know, kids that are getting ready for high school state meets when you're, you know, trying to break world records at the Olympics. <laughs> um, but it was, it was intense. Um, you know, we we're in the water seven times a week. I had a great weights coach. I was in the weight room three times a week. And, um, it was a different type of training that I was used to. It was a lot more race intensive and speed intensive rather than, um, distance focused. I do swim the 50 free and the hundred free. So, um, sprint, sprint, sprint. That's, that's what we did. Yeah. Um, but it was great. Were those your distances before? They were. Yeah. So I just stuck to the same things. (laughs) Yeah. Cause that's short, huh? It's short. Yeah. And there is a a decent amount of endurance you need for the hundred free. So that's, I think that's kind of, um, you know, my signature thing is if you watch my races from Rio, the end of the 100 free, I actually catch the world record line. Um, Yeah, which is pretty cool. A lot of um, people you see kind of fall off the world record line, but I actually sped up at the end and caught it. And I think that's a testament to how much training I really put in. Okay, so talk to me about the training as far as distance goes. Um, you're, You're swimming seven days a week. What is your average I know you're doing a lot of speed, but what's your average? Do you do you say meters or yards? Um, we mostly train in yards, um, but yeah, if, depending on how the pool is set up, it could be meters. And um, I would typically do about three thousand to five thousand um, yards or meters in a workout, um, and that could vary a lot. You know, we had a pretty um, consistent training plan each week. You know, Monday mornings we're doing resistance, which is sprint work with a parachute attached to you. Mm. Um, you know, Tuesday afternoons are active rest. Um, so I could, I kind of knew what was coming every day. Um, and even the easy days were hard. <laughs> is, is, is an active rest day, would you do like 3000 meters just comfortable? Um, no. So for active rest for at least how my coach saw it, um, it would be a lot of things like you will sprint a hundred free, 
um, you know, maybe 90%, and then you'll do 100 easy at kind of a moderate 50%. And then you'll repeat those types of things. So you are getting rest after the, the hard efforts, but it's active in that you're kind of swimming easy. Oh, okay. So the workout's still hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. My coach actually, rather than having us come in and do a recovery day, like I know a lot of runners do like long, slow distance. Uh-huh. Um, he just gave us the day off. So Thursdays, I didn't swim. Okay. Um, and that's kind of how he worked into like post-grads is what we're called. You know, you're out of college and still training. Um, so it was cool to see how he modified a normal training schedule for a post-grad, someone who might have some commitments outside of training or doesn't necessarily need the, the supervision of saying you're having a rest day, but don't, you know, go do something stupid. So do you, do you ever hop in the pool and not do an, a workout? Like, do you ever hop in the pool and just say, I'm going to swim 2000 yards? Now I do, but okay. <laughs> um, no, during training, I did it. Um, and I think it kind of helped me get in this mentality that when I'm at the pool, I am there to work and mm. work as hard as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband has been talking to me about if I become a more serious swimmer, I, my running will improve because I can't run as many miles as I would like to without getting injured. So he was like, you can't just always get in the pool and just swim 1500 meters easy. Like you need to start getting <laughs> your heart rate up. So I've been trying to do that more, but man, swimming hard is so much different than running hard, yes. you know? Yes, definitely. But- I know that swimmers feel the same way about running. Yes. Oh my gosh. I could run a quarter mile and be like wiped for the week. <laughs> it's so crazy how some of us are naturally kind of one way and naturally kind of another way. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right, before I continue my conversation with Michelle, I want to thank the Ursay Family YMCA for supporting this podcast. You guys know I love the YMCA. I'm there all the time. Get the kids ready for safety in the water this summer with the Y swim lessons. Keep them active and engaged and off the couch this summer break with programs like gymnastics, summer camp, cooking camp, chess, and basketball camps presented by the Indiana Pacers and Eric Gordon. They also have a dodgeball tournament coming up for adults on June 30th and a wiffle ball tournament coming up on August 5th. You guys can follow the Ursa Family Y on Instagram and Facebook. Head over to IndieYMCA.org and check out the Ursa Family Y. Thanks so much for being such a great community partner. All right, you guys, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Michelle. So let's talk about Rio. What was that experience like? Oh my gosh, it was you know, people ask me all the time if Rio was fun. And I definitely would not use the word fun to describe <laughs> it. Um, but it was just a culmination of everything that I had put in. Um, you know, the village, you're getting to meet all of these athletes from different sports and different countries. And um, I was very worried about being overwhelmed, um, mm-hmm. because it's my first games, I do have Um, you know, very high expectations for myself and both that I'm expected to do. Um, I did go in seated number one in both of my events. Um, So I did a lot of sports psych work to kind of prepare for this potentially overwhelming experience. And I'm so grateful that I did because I think once I got there, I was able to handle everything really well um, in being prepared for needing alone time and how to deal with um, conflicts among teammates. I was a team captain. So Um, I did have to, you know, work with a lot of people. Um, So I'm really glad that I was as prepared for Rio as I was. What were some of the mental exercises that you would do? Um, I started doing a lot of meditation. um, And that was really helpful both before the games. And then when I got there, you know, I would find a quiet space on the pool deck and just listen to my meditation app and just kind of 
focus on the present moment and the sensations that I was feeling. And that was really helpful in keeping me grounded and not letting my head get too caught up in, um, you know, all the things there are to think about at the games. What, what's the app called? Is it just called meditation app? It's called Headspace. You ever oh. heard of Headspace? Oh yes. I have heard of Headspace. I've heard really good things, but I've never tried it. Oh my gosh. I love Headspace. The first 10 days are free, so you should definitely try it. Okay. I will. Um, do you ever listen to music when you're prepping for a big, big race? I do. Um, it's funny that you ask. I have this playlist that's literally the songs are from 2008 because it was like my high school pump up playlist and they just work for me. So <laughs> oh, what are some of the songs that wait, 2008 is the year I got married. So, oh really? yeah. So now I'm trying to think of like, what, what year was that? What were the da- music? What was the music on the dance floor at our wedding? Like get low or yes. <laughs> yes. Um, pump it by black eyed peas. Oh, is like, yeah, I, totally. I listened to that before every single race. <laughs> oh, that's good. There's a lot of good black eyed peas song back. back yes. Um, what totally. else, what else is on the playlist? Um, I really like, there's some Armin Van Buren, a little Tiesto. Um, so it's a little more EDM, you know, I've, I've added a few songs. I don't even know what that means. What? EDM? What? (laughs) EDM is, uh, electronic dance music. Oh, okay. You're into electro. Okay. Got it. I I really like it because it's got a very high, um, beats per minute, which kind of helps get me ready to Uh have my stroke rate in that high beats per minute. So I can imagine like whenever I watch track and I see the sprinters come off the blocks, I'm like, my heart is racing for them because unlike even, you know, like an 800, um, I'm just thinking the intensity of getting off the blocks has to be so nerve wracking. And I imagine it's the same for getting off the, what do you call it that you dive off of? Yeah. It's a block in swimming. Okay. I'm like, I'm like the intensity and the anxiety of like making sure you get off the block right at the right time. What, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Um, I think it kind of just becomes instinct for me because you, we practice it so much in practice. And then especially at the beginning of the race, your adrenaline is so high that I have the confidence that I know I'm going to do what my body has trained to do. And I I don't even really remember going off the block most of the time. Do you ever get nervous for a false start? Um, I don't think so. No, I mean, it, it happens, but, um, especially with my balance, I'm very conscious of being centered before I kind of go down to take my mark. It's just like the sprinters in track. So, um, it's never happened to me. So it's not really something I think about too much. Mm. So what, what are some of your best memories from Rio? Oh, best memories from Rio. Um, (laughs) some of the more fun ones, just like hanging out with teammates in the dining hall and um, joking and laughing and taking our minds off of, you know, what's going on. Um, That was really fun. And just kind of, you know, looking out off the balconies of our rooms and seeing the city of Rio. Um, Those are things I think about a lot, but in the pool um, after the hundred free, you know, touching the wall, seeing you won a gold medal, broke a world record. It's just, so much emotion. I, I can feel it so vividly even now. Um, and that's a moment I will absolutely never forget. When did you know you had it? Um, so the hundred free is two laps, you know, you swim down, do a flip mm-hmm. turn and come back. And at the flip turn, I flipped and I could see that I was ahead of both of my two biggest competitors. And I knew that I had a better second 50 than them. Um, you know, just based on the way we all race. Mm-hmm. Um, So I was pretty confident even coming off the wall. Um, But, you know, that world record was certainly something that I was thinking about. Um, So I think I was confident in myself, but I still just wanted to swim the race absolutely as fast as I could. 
Yeah, because you know you're chasing the world record and watching on TV, people can see that line, but you don't know where the line is, right? Like, did you have any, do you have any idea? Oh yeah, no, I had no idea. Um, it was, and I had to drop a pretty good chunk of time to get to that world record. So it certainly wasn't my intent um, going into it. I would, I really just wanted to win. Um, so the world <laughs> record was a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what that's like in the pool though, because I wonder when I watch on, on TV, uh, when you guys go back and you're in that last stretch, if you can see your competitors. Um, yeah, in some races you can. Um, I actually, I think I was a little bit further ahead of both of them that I couldn't see either of them. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, but when I raced this past weekend at Indianapolis, um, your city, woohoo. I know, I want to talk about that too. Go ahead, though. Yeah, um, but yeah, I was racing and I could see someone and sometimes it's honestly a little bit hard to gauge if they're ahead of, a little bit ahead of you, a little bit behind you, but just seeing someone for me kicks in this drive like all right I gotta stay as close to this person as I can wow um and then tell me about standing up and and hearing the the national anthem playing and you have you have are you do you hold the flag um no the flag is kind of hanging at the other side of the pool um so I got to see it raised and it was so incredible. I mean, I never wanted that anthem to end. And now every time I hear the national anthem, it takes me back to that moment. And, um, you know, I was tearing up. I could see my family. It was just, it was so amazing. And that's what I had thought about for so long. And the fact that it was actually happening, I was actually experiencing it. Uh, it really was a dream come true. Now, now who was silver bronze in that, those events? Was there, were there any other Americans up there? Um, no, there weren't, not in that event, but, uh, you know, they're great girls. I love talking to my competitors in the ready room and, you know, in the metal room before we go out. One of them's from Spain, so I kind of talk to her in broken Spanish, um, <laughs> but it's fun. We have a good relationship. And then in the 50, what, I forget what, tell me, tell me what happened in the 50. Yeah. So in the 50, uh, honestly, my biggest motivation is that was getting to hear the national anthem again, because um, I felt like it went by so fast after the 100 that I wanted to do it again. Um, so the 50, I had an amazing race. I didn't go quite my best time. Um, I was just about five hundredths of a second off of my world record that I had set at Paralympic trials. Um, but I was thrilled just to win um, and get to stand up on the podium again. But what, the 100 is, is definitely... You think you say that's your strength? Yeah, I think um, I think that's where my training is showcased a little more. And I did have you know a really good fifty um, Paralympic record, um, and it's fun. The fifty doesn't really hurt at all, so it's really just all fun. It's all out sprint. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I mean it's it's so short. I mean it's just like there and gone. What do you what do you swim? With? What is what is your record? Yeah, um, my record is twenty eight point two four seconds. Okay, and then what's your record for the 100? The 100 is a minute point nine one. Okay, and can you compare that to, like, what your records were before your injury? Um, so this is pretty cool. Those times that I swam in Rio are actually faster than I ever swam before I was injured. That's amazing. Um, there's a little caveat, though, um, that, that those are long course meters, whereas before I was injured, um, high school and college meets are held in short course yards. Okay. Um, so the format's a little different, and the long course really plays to my strengths now because there's less flip turns, um, and that's really where the injury in my legs is kind of more oh, apparent. So, yes, they are faster. Um, I could never go now as fast in a short course yard school where there's more turns as I was in high school. But um, either way, it's pretty cool. Well, yeah, and you weren't 
training. Like you weren't training for the Olympics back then either, you know? Totally, totally. The training has been a huge part of that. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the long course and the short course because today I went swimming inside in a, I'm assuming it was a metered pool and it's 25 down, 25 back. Um, yeah, so it could be 25 yards or 25 meters. I think it was yards. I think. Okay. Well, I never know. Here's the thing. I never know. <laughs> but my point is, is that this whole week, last week and the week before, I've been swimming outside in a long, it definitely is a metered pool. Uh-huh. So I got inside today and I was like, you know, it's it's half the distance either way because it's, yep. you know, the outdoor is 50 down. And I was just like flying through these laps because they were so short. I was like, how am I to the end already? Um, I know. Doesn't it feel different? It feels so different. So I think it's yards, the pool I swim in, I think it's yards inside, meters outside. But okay. what, what is the difference though lengthwise? Like, I mean, if you, if you did, if you lined up a yard pool, indoor pool, that's 50 total, like 25 down, 25 back to a metered pool outside that's like, you know, 50 all the way down. What's actually the difference in distance as far as yards to meters? Are yards that much shorter? Um, that's a good question. I think, yeah, no, I know, I know what you're saying. Um, I think a 25 yard pool is about nine feet shorter than a 25 meter pool. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's, we have kind of like time, like a calculator that you can plug in your times and it'll convert it and tell you like, Oh, if you swam this in yards, this is what it would have been in meters. So really, if I wanted to do the same, if I thought I was doing 1500 inside and outside, maybe I could have swam like two extra laps inside to make up those nine feet or whatever. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Oh gosh. Okay. So Moving on from Rio, but I want to say, I want to give you the opportunity to say anything else you want to say and share about the Paralympics to people who might not be educated on it. Yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, I think something that is really helpful to know right off the bat is that um, Paralympics is a separate organization from Special Olympics. Um, Mm -hmm. Special Olympics is, you know, an amazing organization, but that's designed more with a participation mindset. Um, whereas Paralympics is elite athletes um, training to be the best in the world. So, um, you know, there are there are no hugs when you come in fourth place. <laughs> um, it's, it is um, just as competitive as the Olympics, and the athletes have to train just as hard, plus deal with all of the um, things in their life that their disability um, affects them with. So I think just for people to know that um, – Paralympians are amazing. All of them have amazing stories. Like you think you've heard the craziest Paralympic story and then you hear one that's um, even more amazing. So um, I hope that people know about it and get excited for Pyeongchang. Um, There's Winter Paralympics as well. And um, just to, you know, support the people that they may know that are pursuing this dream. What can we do to support it? I mean, is it on TV? Like, I mean, I feel like an idiot kind of even asking you that, but is it streamed on TV? Yeah, so Rio was the first time the NBC um, had major coverage of the Paralympics, and it was awesome. Um, I can't tell, yeah, it was so cool for people to be able to see, oh, yeah, I watched your race. Um, And they'll continue that for Pyeongchang. I think there's actually an Olympic channel coming out. Um, But definitely watch. The Paralympics always happen about two weeks after the Olympics. So, you know, if if your Olympic fever burns out, um, get it back ready for the Paralympics. (laughs) That's awesome. It's funny because I don't... I don't know if it's just like the times of social media or whatever, but the Olympics get more exciting every every time they happen. 
I know, right? Like, is that an age thing or what? Because I do remember being a little girl and watching gymnastics and track and all this, but um, I don't know. I just feel like it's so so hyped up right now, and it's it's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. The social media team at Team USA, they do such a good job. Oh, that's so great. So um, what's next for you, med school? Yes, med school. Um, I'm currently in the process of packing up my apartment. Glad this is not a video interview because <laughs> it's a mess. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm moving up to Philadelphia in just a couple weeks, and in July I'll be beginning med school. What are, how are you feeling about that? You know, I'm really excited. Um, since Rio, you know, ended in September, I haven't had a whole lot to do. Um, you know, I've done some traveling and speaking and um, a lot of fun stuff, but I'm really ready to devote myself to something else again. Man, I'm really glad I reached out to you before you started med school. <laughs> I would have definitely made time, but it might have been a little trickier. Yeah, you'd have been like, look, lady, I'm in my first year of med school. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call you in cadaver lab. <laughs> So do you have any idea what you want to specialize in or if you want yeah. to specialize in anything? Yeah. Um, so right now I'm leaning towards um, some sort of pediatric specialty. Um, I would love to work with kids with disabilities. Mm. Um, and, you know, seeing the kids on the Paralympic team has really inspired me that it, that's such an amazing patient population. So cool. So, you, I mean, you have four years of med school and then you'll do three years of residency, right? Yeah. Three or more, depending on how specialized you want to get. Yeah. yeah. Did you have to go back and do any, I mean, since you were accepted, you got, you, then you deferred it two years. Did you have to go back and take any class refreshers or anything? No, I actually didn't, which has been great. <laughs> Did you think that you might have to? Um, no, once you're accepted, it's kind of like, okay, just see you in two years. Um, but it'll definitely be a shock to my brain to get back into the books. That's so awesome though, because you got to check this huge thing off your bucket list. Are you, aren't you so glad you did it? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad. You know, I got to travel the world. I got to make these amazing friends and um, have these experiences that I never would have been able to otherwise. It's so, it's such a cliche, but it is one of those things where it's like, you're only this age one time. You're only in this season of your life one time. And not that you couldn't have gone back and, and you know, done the Paralympics four years later or whatever, but you had that desire to go after it right then. So kudos to you for going. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's, you know, it's a leap of faith, but it really turned out so well. Tell me about now we're going to move on to a couple fun things, but you were just in Indianapolis. I was I loved it. You know, it was my first time in Indianapolis. I have a lot of friends from there. And I just loved it. It was such a beautiful city. So it was the Para World Series. Yep. Mm -hmm. So tell me about that. What is that? So that's a new thing they started this year to kind of keep up interest in a post-games year, which is, you know, really tough for a lot of people to train through. Um, so there were five meets around the world. Um, this is the second to last stop, and it was the only one in the U.S. So um, this is the only World Series meet that I competed in, but it went super well. I swam almost as fast as I did in Rio. Um, and, you know, my training has certainly not been at that same level since Rio. Um, <laughs> So I was so happy to just get up and race and see a lot of competitors from other countries I don't get to see often and see the beautiful city of Indianapolis. Man, if I would have known that before yeah. we scheduled this, I could have actually like physically met you in person and came to the meet. Uh, there is going to be, I think, um, world champs trials for the able-bodied team that's going to be there. So your boys might like to see that. When that's coming up. In, well, that is true. There's lots of big – is Indy's like a big – a uh, hub for swim stuff, I feel like. Oh my gosh, yeah, that pool, it is so fast. Is um, so yeah, 
Yeah, the the World Champs Trials will be there, I think, beginning of July. So you should check it out. Tell me this, though, because I recently interviewed Brenda Martinez, and she talked about a specific track being fast. Now, you're mentioning a specific pool being fast. How is a pool, one pool faster than another? It's funny. It's kind of like, um, I think a lot of it is just like swimmer talk. And we're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> fast pool, slow pool. <laughs> um, but there are certain things uh, based on like the depth of the water, how the bottom is shaped, how the lane lines are. Um, it's not huge differences. And so much of it is mental. We're like, yeah, this is a fast pool. So I'm going to swim faster. <laughs> now, when you were in Indy, did you go out to eat anywhere fun or do anything exciting that I need to know about? Hmm. I saw you had a picture by Monument at Monument Circle. Yes, we went to Monument Circle. Um, that was great. We got some good pizza. Okay. Um, and then it was pretty fun. Afterwards, one of my friends and I did a little road trip. So we drove down from Indianapolis to Atlanta over the course of a couple of days. And we got to see a lot of fun stuff um, through that little trip. Awesome. Um, did you get, was your pizza from Giorgio's? Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe. This is just me being a huge Indianapolis nerd, being like, "What cool things did you see in our city?" I I love the Hoosier passion. You know, it's so cool to see it now that I know what it's all about. Yeah, because you're Philly to Florida back. Uh, no, you're Philly to DC to Florida back to Philly, right? Yeah. So I haven't seen the Midwest a whole lot. So glad I'm getting to check it out. Are you going to be living at home with your parents when you're in med school? I love my parents, but no, um, <laughs> no, they live about 45 minutes out into the suburbs. So it would be, um, you know, I'm not going to have the time to make that commute every day. So I have a little apartment right downtown. Oh, that's so cute. Are you, yeah. so, are you so excited? I'm very excited. Um, I have a lot of friends that are already in Philly and, um, you know, as I said, in Naples, there's not a lot of people my age. So um, <laughs> really looking forward to the social life in Philly. Okay, a couple more personal questions, and then we'll get to the fun stuff. Your dog, Ollie. Ollie, it's his birthday today. Happy second <gasps> birthday to Ollie. Ollie's too. <laughs> Ollie the Corgi. Yes. He has his own Instagram, Ollie G the Corgi. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about Ollie. Um, Ollie's my best bud. He he definitely is my best friend in Naples. Um, I won some money after World Champs in 2015, metal money, and decided to buy a puppy. Um, and why did you decide on a Corgi? Um, you know, my family's always had bigger dogs, but I live in a little apartment down here. So I needed something a little smaller and corgis are really smart. They're very friendly. They're, um, easy to train and it just really fit a lot of what I was looking for. That's so sweet. Dogs, dogs are the best. Yes. Do you have a dog? We have a dog, Cadence. And what kind? She is just all kinds of different things, but she's awesome. 45 pounds. She sheds a lot, um, but before we had kids, she was our kid, and we took yeah. her everywhere with us. And not that she's not our kid now, but um, I kind of feel bad for Cadence sometimes because she's taken quite the back seat to the three little boys. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And hopefully Ollie will someday take a back seat to my <laughs> kids too. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just we love her and our kids love her, and she we have really lucked out with her because – she is amazing with the kids. They will crawl all over her, and, you know, we watch her, but she's so patient with them. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, she's she's a good dog. But, yeah, I mean, I remember when we got Cadence, and so we had her for – we got her in 2009. So we had her for a good three years before we had kids, and, I mean, she went everywhere with us. Oh, our mm -hmm. dog can't come? Sorry. I don't <laughs> know if we can come. <laughs> that's awesome. They really – they're like friends. Like, we're, like, hanging out as buddies. Uh-huh. Now tell me about your tattoo. 
Oh, I have a couple tattoos. Okay. Um, so one I have right over one of my scars on my back. Um, it says believe. Mm. Um, and believe was the slogan of Mickey rehab where I did all of my rehab and, um, it's just been a really powerful message to, you know, believe in myself through all of this. Um, and then my second tattoo is on my ribs on the other side. And that's the symbol for mindfulness. Um, it's kind of like a water droplet. Um, and I got that right after trials when I had set the world record and, um, that kind of represents how important, you know, following the process and being in the moment is. Um, and then my third tattoo, which is probably my favorite is it's called the Agitos, um, which it looks like three little Nike signs and it's the symbol of the Paralympics. Um, so a lot of Paralympians do get the Olympic rings, which is also super cool, but, um, I am really proud to be a Paralympian Mm. and, um, wanted that the symbol of the Paralympics rather than the Olympics, um, tattooed on my body but I think the coolest part about that tattoo is I got it on my left leg where I have no feeling so it didn't hurt at all yeah what is that sensation like I've had a surgery um on my chest where I have some numbness and I can't imagine being tattooed right there though I know a lot of people have to get tattooed there what is that like to be tattooed where you can't really feel um, I thought it was great. Um, I have, it's very limited sensation. So it really, the best way I can describe it is if a cell phone is on your leg and is vibrating, uh-huh. that's kind of what it felt like. Okay. And well, and you've <laughs> got, you've gone through the pain of, of where you can feel it. So you're probably like, okay, let's do this again. Oh yeah. And I actually had to get that tattoo done twice because the color faded and I was like, no problem. You can do anything you want. <laughs> Man. Well, you are a great spokesperson for the Paralympics. You should, I mean, I don't know if they have you traveling around the country talking about it, but they should. <laughs> uh, thank you, Lindsay. I appreciate that. So good. Um, and I appreciate you, you know, opening us, you know, opening this up to all of us to start talking about as well. Totally. Absolutely. I'm so excited to be doing that. I feel like I had some other swimming questions, but we're kind of running out of time. What if you could give a runner wannabe swim, a runner who's a wannabe swimmer, a piece of advice um, what, what, to swim faster and more fluidly and, and not so sloppy, what would it be? Hmm. Good question. Um, honestly, I think my best advice would be to like find a swimmer that in your community that you can say, Hey, can I swim a couple laps with you? And just tell me, um, a couple things to do. Swimmers love helping people. And usually there's just a couple really minor things that I'm sure are different for everybody, but, um, just getting a little bit of feedback can make a huge difference. And when you swim, do you breathe every, so I breathe out of my right side and I do it every time my right arm comes around. Do you breathe less frequently or more frequently than that? Um, it depends well, a lot. Can't do more fre- yeah, you could do more. You could do both sides. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. You'll get a headache. <laughs> Um, that's a good question. It depends a lot on the circumstances. So when I'm racing, I have a very specific plan, um, of when I breathe, but in training, I usually try to breathe, um, sometimes to the right and sometimes to the left to balance out my shoulders. Um, Mm. and if it's an aerobic set, I'll, I might breathe every stroke. If you know, every time my right arm comes up, if it's more of a sprint set where I need to be holding my breath a little bit more, I will breathe less frequently. Now, is that something you have to train yourself to do? Because I don't know that I could breathe out of my left side unless I really, really paid attention. Yeah. If you do it more, it'll become more natural. And it's a really good way to swim more evenly. So you should try it. I should try it. And I've never even considered it. I always just thought I'm right-handed. So this is what I do. Yeah, no, definitely try the left. A really good pattern to aim for is every three strokes. So you'll breathe once to the right, take three strokes, and then breathe to the left. 
I feel like I've just my I feel like my whole world is just exploding. There you go. With there you go. I never and I guarantee though, then does that mean if I always breathe to my right, does that mean that my right side's probably stronger? Um it could be yeah, it could mean it's different depending on how you're breathing. Um but yeah, you probably have a little bit of an imbalance. Okay, I'm gonna try that. So Yay. I'm going to run tomorrow, but the day after that, I'm going to swim and I'm going to try that. All right. Well, let me know. Report I will. Back. I'll social media you and let you know. Perfect. So let's move on to the end of the podcast questions. What is one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you have not done yet? This is a really good question. I had to think a little bit about this one. Um, and I think actually going back to your question is I would love to teach or coach a little bit, um, you know, not as a full-time job, but maybe to have a couple little protégés that I can kind of pass on some of my knowledge to. That's awesome. You would be so good at that. <laughs> Thank you. What If you had one message to send to the world, what would it be? Um, it would be that no dream is too big, but you have to know that if you're going to set your sight on those big dreams, it's going to be really hard and require everything you have and more than you even think you have. Um, I think I underestimated how much work it was going to take to win a gold medal, but then I did it and I was able to access that. So it's going to be hard, but you can do it. What's your advice on days when you kind of feel like, I don't think I can do this because we all have days where we're like on top of the world and we have days where we're like, shoot, what did I get myself into? Yeah. Um, that comes from Rhonda Rousey's book, which is amazing. Definitely should, everyone should read that. Um, and she said, you have to be ready to beat your biggest competitor on your worst day because you don't know if the Olympics are going to fall on your worst day. Mm -hmm. So I thought about that a lot on those days when I did not want to get out of bed. That's so true too. And I mean, the same can be said for the marathon, man. You can, you can yeah. get to the start line of a marathon and it could just be a day where your body's like, Buh. yeah, yeah. But if you know that you've trained through days like that uh -huh. and you've able to been able to have a great training session on a day like that, you can run the marathon on a day like that. That's great advice. And that's a great message too. Um, yeah. that's, that's probably one of my favorite, um, answers to that question so far on my podcast. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. What are you loving right now? What am I loving? Um, Headspace was something I want to tell you about. So okay. we've got that. Um, I just found this cold brew coffee called Stock. Have you ever heard of it? I haven't heard of it. It's you, They sell it in grocery stores, and it's amazing. I was making my own cold brew for a while, and then I got sick of the mess and mm -hmm. found this in the grocery store, and I love it. I drink it every day. I feel like cold brew is like all the hype right now. It is, and it's so good, especially in Florida. We've been jumping on the bandwagon as well, and my husband did start brewing. I don't do it. My husband started doing it. Um, but I found these little guys at Trader Joe's, and I guess they're just Trader Joe's brand, but they have regular, and then they have French vanilla, and they're the cheapest I've found. They're, the cans are small, but they're, I think they're like $1.80, which is pretty oh, good. Oh, cool. Um, but yeah, is it me, or is cold brew like the thing? Has it always been this big? I don't know. I, I'm really into iced coffee. I usually get iced coffee, but it's definitely taking off. Do you drink hot coffee too, being in Florida? Like in the morning, do you drink coffee hot? No, I always just do cold brew. I don't even have a coffee maker. <laughs> do you? So do you drink it in the morning and the afternoon? No, I kind of just drink it in the morning. When I would have afternoon training sessions, sometimes I'd have a little bit before my afternoon practice. Give you a little zing for your workout. Exactly. Well, what's the best, most recent book you've read? Hmm. Um, I've, have you read Modern Romance no. by Aziz Ansari? Uh-uh. It's, well, uh, hopefully you're not in the romance uh, market right now, but <laughs> uh, 
Um, for a lot of people my age, it's a really interesting explanation of how like the dating culture has changed because of social media. Um, you know, with like Tinder and like all these apps. And I just think it's so relatable and explains so much about like our parents' relationships and grandparents' relationships and how we look for love today. Are you now, are you single? I am. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is really interesting. And are you, are you saying Aziz, like the comedian Aziz? Yes. Aziz, okay. I'm sorry. He hired a sociologist to help him write this book. Okay. I want to read that book. I love him. Yeah. It's really good. And it's, it's funny, but also like, you know, scientifically relevant. I listened to him on, um, there's a podcast called You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes. And it's, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but he, Pete Holmes is a comedian and he does these really, you think my interviews are long form. These are really long form. Some of his episodes are like two and a half hours. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But anyway, um, it's one of those things where um, I'll go through and I, I, I kind of mad at myself for doing this because I hope that people don't do this with my podcast, even though I know they do is you'll, I'll go through and I'll just listen to the ones for the people's names that I know, you know, right? <laughs> um, which is why someone like Shalane Flanagan has like a ton of downloads, you know, cause people see right. your name and they want to listen. But, um, anyway, that's what I do with that podcast. And so I listened to Aziz interview and it was pretty good. Yeah. He's a funny guy. So I'll have to check that out. And then he had, oh, he has a series on TV as well. Or is it HBO? I don't know. He um, has a show. Do you know what Is it Master, Master of None? Yes. Have you seen yes. that? Yes. Yes. I've been watching it. It's very funny. I didn't think I was going to like it, but um, it, you know, they're easy. They're like 25 minute episodes. I like it a lot. Yes. I actually think that I forgot about it and I'm like halfway through and this was a while ago and I need to go back and, and get back on the train. Yeah. It's really yeah. good. He's funny. Yeah. Um, are you into any other shows? Um, I'm currently watching the new season of Orange is the New Black. Oh, I'm in I'm, I'm in on it, too. Yes, it's so good. I'm actually, um, I think I'm four episodes in. Where are you at? Okay, I'm a little further. I've, I've been going pretty hard. You know what, though? I, man, and I assume anybody that's an Orange is the New Black fan has already, you know, knows what happened at the end of last season. But that kind of just, like, pushed me over the edge. Yeah, it got really crazy really fast. Yeah, and I have to say I'm not as into it right now as I have been in prior seasons. I don't know why. I can see that. I think it's a lot less relatable now. Yeah, and I mean, I'm still into it. I mean, I'm still, I'm committed. I'm not, yeah. I'm not quitting, but my heart is not as involved as it yeah. was last season. I, season before. I recently read the book, the actual book by Piper Kernan, um, and it's really good. It's you know, it's much tamer, obviously, than the series, but it's cool to read about these actual people that inspired a lot of the characters. So now this might be a stupid question, but how true is the story? I think the, it's probably very true to the first season, but then once things start to get ridiculous, it's not <laughs> accurate anymore, fortunately. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, okay, so what is one of your favorite nonprofits to support? Um, there are two I really like. One is the Challenged Athletes Foundation. Um, they've provided some grants to me and a lot, um, a lot of running legs to runners with disabilities. Um, and then also McGee Rehab, where I did my rehab. Um, can't say thanks enough for everything that they did. That's awesome. What are, um, who are some of your favorite people to follow on social media? This was a really fun one for me to think of my answers to. So number one is Sally's Baking Addiction. Have you heard of her? No. Oh my gosh, she's this food blogger. She does the most amazing desserts. They're so well tested. The pictures are beautiful. Everything that I've made from her site is so delicious. Okay, that's exciting. That's, that's yes. a good one. Okay. Yes. Um, number two is the dogist. Oh, I know about the dogist. Yes, love the dogist. Anytime there's a corgi on there, I like freak out. <laughs> can, you sub can you 
take a really good professional photo of Ollie and submit it to the doggist and like fill them in on her personality? Or is Ollie a girl or a boy? Ollie's a boy. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think that that, um, you know, account might only be up from that person, but I always tag like, you know, daily Corgi for Ollie's pictures. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. They might pick that up. Yes. Hopefully, hopefully he'll become Instagram famous. <laughs> I love that. And then the last one is Boomer Phelps. He has his own Instagram and it's adorable. Oh, Michael Phelps. Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so cute. What's this thing with, I heard, I saw an article about Michael Phelps trying to swim faster than a shark or something. Yeah. I think it's something with shark week. I'm very interested to see how that goes. Yes. When is that? What, I mean, is that like even something that a human can try to do? I can't even imagine how they would do it. Maybe at like, for like a very short distance, but like, you know, Phelps can, he's actually more of a mid distance swimmer. So if they're just going for raw speed, they should have picked someone else. <laughs> are they in the, I mean, are they going to do this? Do you know, in the water at the same time? I, I don't know how they did it. I think they're kind of keeping it secret until shark week. <laughs> um, okay. One last question before I let you go. And this is yeah. swimming related. Who are a couple or a few, however many you want to list um, of your, of swimmers, uh, you can, I mean, it can be someone from the Paralympics, Olympics, whatever, that you have always kind of looked up to. One of them is Jessica Long. She's the most decorated active um, U.S. Paralympian. She has 26 medals. Um, wow. Insane. Um, maybe 23. A lot. Um, and, you know, she has been kind of the poster child for Paralympics. She's had such an amazing career. So being able to swim with her, be on relay teams with her has been um, really, really cool. Now, what, um, what's her, um, what's her, would I say disability? Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. Um, and like a totally normal question to ask for Paralympics, like nobody should ever be embarrassed to ask, oh, what's your disability? Um, that's good so, to know. That's really good yeah. to know. Thank and oh, thank you yeah. for making me feel comfortable with how I asked the question. Because, you I, know, you get in interviews like this and you're like, what if I say something that's politically incorrect, you know? Yeah, no, not at all. It's I think it's great for people to know like how to approach it. Um, but in Paralympics, you know, you have to be a little more sensitive, I think, at first. But once you kind of understand the culture, and especially with when people with disabilities are talking to each other, we like joke about our disabilities all the time. <laughs> um, so Jess um, is a double below the knee amputee. Okay. Now what? Now what class is she in? So she's one class below me. She's an S eight. Okay, got it. Yeah. Awesome. You're, you're learning. <laughs> I am. I'm learning so much. Well, Michelle, this has been so fun. I really, I, you know, I knew when I went through your Instagram and then just by our emails, like I was like, she's going to be really fun to talk to. Awesome. Lindsay, it's been great to talk to you too and get to know a little more about your story. Well, good luck with your move. Thank you. Thank you. And med school. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Hopefully I'll still be able to, you know, put some good Instagram pictures so people know that I'm still alive when I'm deep in the library. <laughs> yeah. And, and what, will you hop in the pool at all? Um, I will, you know, swimming's always going to be a part of my life. I'm not super motivated to swim right now. Uh, I've just been in the weight room more, but, um, I'm not sure what the future holds, but, um, swimming in some capacity will definitely be part of it. Awesome. All right, Michelle, will you have a great day? You too, Lindsay. So great to talk to you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening today. Thanks, Michelle, for coming on the show. You guys can find all the information about everything I talked about in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. Tickets to the live show are available and the early bird price lasts through June. That's September 30th, downtown Indianapolis. Grab a girlfriend, come visit this great city, run the Indie Women's Half, and 
celebrate afterwards with myself and a bunch of fun women. You guys can follow me on Instagram, lindsayhine626, and you can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine. Thanks everybody for listening today, and you guys have a great weekend, and as always, I'll see you next Friday.